Ho, 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 boxing fans. Michael Montero here for Boxing Monthly Magazine. Welcome to episode number 106 of the Neutral Corner. It is the last episode of TNC for 2017. What has been a great year of boxing and a great year uh, talking boxing here on this platform with you guys. Thank you so much for all the support. We got a lot to talk about in this last episode of the year, but don't worry. In between now and when we get started back up in January of 2018, we're going to have plenty of year-end videos on the channel to keep you guys entertained. So let's get right into it with some news and notes. So last week I did another one of my polls and I asked you guys who you thought was going to, was going to win between Billy Joe Saunders and David Lemieux. Uh, over 300 of you voted and 42% had Saunders winning by decision, 43% Lemieux by stoppage. And that's kind of how it, what that fight was. It was split down the middle. At first, I was maybe leaning towards Lemieux stoppage, but the more I thought about this fight and their styles and David's tendency to blow up and wait between fights, um, all of it, I was leaning towards Saunders by decision. I thought it'd be a stinker. It turns out that the fight wasn't, it wasn't crazy entertaining, but it wasn't, a stinker either it was kind of in between and I'll talk more about that later when we get to the review uh, portion of the episode but that's the way you guys saw it split right down the middle and we got you know what most of us I think thought was gonna happen with Saunders just having a little more class uh, before I talk about some other things um, some fights coming together for early next year uh, we really have a loaded first quarter and even some fights that are proposed for April and May are pretty interesting. So I'll talk about that in a second. But first I want to address something that I've addressed for the millionth time. And I, I know I'm going to be beating a dead horse, guys, but you know what? It's the last time you're going to hear me rant about it for the rest of this year, at least. My so-called bias against the PBC. I, I've been accused by several of you in the last few weeks. And so, some of you guys out there have uh, save screen comments on other uh, videos on other channels videos about me or comments made about me that and you've, you've either tweeted it to me you know private message or you sent it to me on Facebook or by email if you have that and you know I don't really go to those other channels but when you guys send me the comments you know I read them and, and I then I'll go and look at it and see what's out there and it's really interesting the way people paint me there's really not much I could do there was a point where I tried to reach people and try to have a meeting of the minds and you know an objective, moderate way of speaking and finding some middle ground. But with some people, that's just impossible. Those of you who come here to my channel and you appreciate my work, but you accuse me of PBC bias, it's just not true. If you watch every episode of this show every week or listen on the podcast version, now available on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud, uh, shameless plug. If you listen or watch this podcast, this show every week, you've heard me rip every promoter. Earlier this year in March, I reamed Tom Loeffler and K2 Promotions for uh, the way they handled the press situation at the Triple G Jacobs fight. I reamed Tom Loeffler again because uh, in September because he carries some of the blame for the scoring fiasco for Triple G Canelo. And I asked him and his team about it in a piece I did for Boxing Monthly leading up to that fight, and they brushed it off, right? So I reamed Tom Loeffler, and I get accused of being a K2 homer. I reamed Golden Boy Promotions 
earlier this year when they put together the Canelo Chavez bout and the, the tickets were insanely priced. They were gouging fans. I, I reamed Oscar De La Hoya and Eric Gomez to their face at the post-fight press conference after Adelaide Bird's disgusting scorecard for that Canelo Triple G fight in front of everybody with all the cameras on, the HBO people were all there, they all saw it. I reamed those guys to their face. And I even said, hey, you're probably not going to credential me for the rematch. Because they carry blame for that scorecard. I, I, I've, I've ripped top rank, particularly last year, because I thought they had a weak year last year. They had a rebound year this year with the big deal they put together with ESPN. But I rip Grandpa Bob all the time when he gets it wrong. I am not above ripping any promoter. They all screw up sometimes. This is a tough, nasty business, and promoters get things wrong. I rip all of them. And some of you will say, well, you rip the PBC guys more. That's because there's more to criticize. I give the PBC guys credit when they get it right. They had a great first quarter. And even though a lot of their bigger fights, uh, not just this year, but during their whole operation the last few years, have been on Showtime, and technically speaking, that's not PBC, because the PBC is supposed to be on network TV and non-premium cable, Still, I give them credit for those good Showtime cards they've put together. And earlier this year, when you had Badu Jack and James DeGale, when you had Keith Thurman and Danny Garcia unifying titles, I covered those fights. I've covered dozens of PBC events, whether it's going to the fights, to press lunches, to, um, to pressers, to weigh-ins, whatever it is. You guys know this who actually follow me. You know I give them credit when they get it right. But there are things going on behind the scenes that a lot of you are unaware of, stuff I can't necessarily say on the record. I can allude to certain things and point you guys in the right direction, and I do that. But there are things going on the way that the PBC, Sam Watson, Al Heyman, that whole operation, even Shelly Finkel and those guys that are connected to him, the way they go about their business, it is disruptive to the American boxing scene and destructive disruptive and destructive. Example, and I'm not going to do a 20-minute rant talking about this stuff, but this year, I just mentioned Garcia Thurman. Some of you guys just focus on the fact that they split $4 million. They each got paid $2 million. Wow, what a great purse. And that makes you happy because that's what you're most concerned about. And fighters should get paid. But Keith Thurman, coming off the career-defining win of his career, best win so far, didn't fight for the rest of the year. And it's not like that fight happened in the third quarter or the fourth quarter. It happened early in the year. Now, I know he went off and got married and everything else. Why do you think he went and did that? It's because the brass there said, hey, man, take the year off. Come back next year. Here's a few dollars to keep you afloat. Have fun. See you next year. Danny Garcia. That was a good performance by him. A highly rated fight. It was a successful card, a successful event. Didn't fight again this year. Errol Spence goes over to the UK, to Sheffield, grabs Kell Brook's title. A pretty good rating for that fight here in the States. A big one over there. A brand-building type of fight for Brook in the UK. Grabs a title. Career-defining win. Doesn't fight again for the rest of the year. I'm sorry, for Spence. It was a career-defining win for Spence. Doesn't fight again the rest of this year. I could go on and on and on here, guys. You know, because I've talked about this stuff before, that that sort of thing... The inactivity, when you're paying guys, let me, let me say this. 
Say you have Fighter X. He's one of your high-level fighters. He has a title. You have $2 million budgeted to pay this guy for the rest of the year, but you have a guaranteed payout with him of $1.3 million per fight. You go to Fighter X and say, look, I can only afford to pay you once this year. And then early next year, we'll get you on in the first quarter when that network money over at Showtime CBS frees back up. That's exactly the kind of thing you're seeing with Errol Spence and those guys. That's why their fights get pushed and pushed and pushed. And they come back in January, February every year because that network money is freed up. They're getting those site fees. They're getting the licensing fee. So when I say things like PBC is kind of struggling, falling apart in a way, the network contracts on network TV have dried up. Even non-premium cable, some of those contracts have dried up. They're not being renewed. We were supposed to see dozens of fights a year on NBC, CBS, Fox, and other entities. Instead, we're getting two or three a year. Guys, there's, th there's problems there. When they're delaying fights to the early next year so they can get that network money to get their guys paid their guaranteed rate, it's not hard to see what's going on there. When I opine about that and talk about it, you call me biased. I'm just telling you the truth. And those of you who are going to these other channels to get your quote-unquote news, you're not getting news there. A lot of those channels, some of them are very, very popular. They're not media. They're fans with YouTube channels. Some of them are fans with very popular YouTube channels. Some of them get credentialed to fights because they're friends with Sam Watson or they have some sort of connect at the PBC and those guys. Primarily, they go to PBC events, but some of them build up a profile enough where they can go to other events. But a lot of those guys have been blacklisted by the power brokers in American boxing outside of the PBC because they've been caught selling credentials. They've been caught spreading lies about people, um, slander in the media. And a lot of these guys have slandered me. They've slandered my colleagues. But when you're slandering the promoter, putting on an event and spreading lies and misinformation, you're going to get blacklisted. So you're going to these channels to get your news. You're not getting news. You're not getting unbiased information. When it comes to media now, guys, sports media, the information's instant. You get on your phone, you go to Twitter, boom, the information's out there. It's not just boxing. It's every sport. It's American football, basketball, baseball, whatever it is. Boom, it's there. It's instant. But... The way the information's broken down and, and talking about the stuff that isn't released in, in public press releases and all that, reading between the lines, giving you guys the inside information, that's why you go to journalists now. That's why you go to media. And I'm not saying I'm the most in-the-know guy in the sport. I'm Mr. A-lister and I work for a, a big network or anything like that. But yeah, I'm an independent broker. I'm connected to... A lot of those people, though, I talk to them on a daily basis. I'm friends with them. I work with them. I work on multiple platforms, not just Boxing Monthly Magazine, but a bunch of them. And through those contacts, the contacts I have, the executives at some of these venues like the MGM, uh, network people, duh, I work in the entertainment business. I have friends at the networks that tell me some of the things that are going on, right? We've talked about the merger situation. You see everything that just went down with that with uh, the networks, with uh, Disney and all that. Guys, I, those people that I can talk to, I can get some information. I'm, again, I'm not saying I'm Mr. Hotshot and I got all the info, but I know where to go to get some inside info. And I don't 
put stuff on my channel unless I'm comfortable enough putting it out there publicly that I can back it up, okay? Whether it's on the record, off the record, whatever. These channels you're going to that are calling guys like me biased for just telling you the freaking truth, even when it's uncomfortable to hear, maybe they're the biased ones. Maybe they're the biased ones. Maybe you're the biased one. Because maybe I'm just criticizing an entity, a person, a platform that you like, that you're biased toward, and that makes you feel uncomfortable. Those of you who are actually objective, maybe we can disagree on things. We disagree all the freaking time. That's part of the fun of it. But those of you who have an objective mind, you know that I keep it as real as I can. I have my favorites. I have my preferences and stuff like that, of course. But I get in everyone's ass. It's like the sanctioning organizations, the networks. I've reamed HBO. I've reamed Showtime. I ream all of them when they deserve it. It just so happens that Uncle Al and the PBC, they deserve it a little bit more in the last few years. That's just the way it goes, okay? Enough of that for right now. So I want to talk about some early fights coming together. Right now, th there's a few that are rumored. Talking about PBC. Adrian Broner and Omar Figueroa being discussed for April or May. Also, Danny Garcia versus Brandon Rios being discussed for next spring as well. Do either of those fights whet your appetite? Good stay busy fights, fine. Might be entertaining. Are either of those elite level matchups? No. But do we need to see Adrian Broner anymore? Is he an elite level fighter anymore? No. Omar Figueroa never was. Danny Garcia coming off that really, really good competitive fight with Keith Thurman sits for a year and then he's going to fight Brandon Rios next. I'm not, look, I'm going to talk about some of the HBO fights we saw this weekend. And believe me, I've had plenty to say about HBO this year, right? Plenty I can say about that. But those are two matchups right there where I'm letting you guys know, not the best thing in the world. Now, if these are on regular TV, regular network TV, and they're loaded with a strong co-feature, maybe it's a triple header, then those could be fun cards. We'll talk about it more. Me personally, I, I, neither of those fights advances any, any, any career, but they might be fun, right? They're not signed yet anyway. So let's talk about the fights that are signed. January 20th, Errol Spence, who I just talked about, is fighting Lamont Peterson in Brooklyn on Showtime. Those of you who talk about Barclays Center um, crowds, you should know that there's a deal. I can't talk too much about it, but there's a deal between the powers that be at PBC and some of the entities they're linked to and the people that own Barclays. And there's a deal worked out there, and that's why most of these cards go there, and they're getting money, and they're papering the hell out of that arena. Now, that doesn't mean that if they do a 12,000 crowd there, and that's what's announced, that they didn't sell four or 5,000 tickets. So they are selling some tickets. And I expect them to sell a few for this, but this is going to be another papered fight. Either way, I like this fight. I like this fight for Errol Spence. It is a good First defense of that title, Lamont Peterson is a good season pro. I've talked about this matchup before. I like it. Should have happened months ago. It should have happened in the third quarter of this year. And it also should be happening in Dallas, Texas. That's where it should be happening. But they're going for the quick money. They're going for the quick money at Showtime, the quick money at Barclays. Because they have deals worked out. They're getting money for that. And that's why when I say, guys, there's some issues there. There's some financial troubles. This is another hint. 
Because if things were doing really, 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 really great, and now just had money to throw out and give Spence his guaranteed rate, this fight would have happened in August or something at a smaller venue in Dallas. And it'd be building up a fan base there because that, that is going to be a boxing-hungry market in the next decade or so. I'm telling you, it's a growing market. There's fighters coming up in those gyms there. January 27th, Oleksandr Usyk versus Marius Bredes. Uh, this is going to be in Latvia. So uh, Usyk going back on the road, which is impressive. This is uh, title unification in the cruiserweight division. Also on the same night on HBO, Jorge Linares and Lucas Matisse are fighting trash opponents on a card that makes absolutely no sense from Golden Boy Promotions at Inglewood, um, at the Forum in Inglewood. So look, I like Jorge Linares. I like Lucas Matisse. I don't like either of these matchups. I don't know why this is on HBO other than, look, those two aren't going to fight each other. They're in two different divisions. I don't know what Linares is going to do. I don't know what Matisse is going to do after this. Um, Matisse has options, but I just, you know, I don't get that card. I don't get it. Stay busy fight for both guys, I guess. February 3rd, Murat Gassiev and Udyar Dotikos are fighting in Russia. World Boxing Super Series, this is another title unification. So this is just a week after the other Cruiserweight Semi. Uh, I love that freaking fight. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. Also, Top Rank has a card on ESPN. Uh, Gilberto Ramirez, Jerwin Ancajas, Andy Ruiz, Big Pudge making his comeback. This, that, fight will, that card will be in Corpus Christi, Texas, and I think it makes sense there. That's a smart venue. A week later, February 10th, Mikey Garcia versus Sergey Lipinets from San Antonio, and this, of course, will be on Showtime to get Mr. Garcia paid. So this is a way to get Mikey Garcia a fourth title in a fourth weight class. Uh, Mikey Garcia is a pound-for-pound level talent, but since he broke off from top rank, who wanted him to be more of a fighter, he has decided he is more of a businessman. He got with the right entity to do that, but we haven't really seen him push or challenge himself. It's been hand-selected opposition. This fight will be no exception. I think it'll be an entertaining fight. Lipinets will give him a very good, uh, st sturdy challenge. He'll, he'll last in there. I see this going the distance, but this is an easy decision win for Garcia. Week after that, February 17th, George Groves versus Chris Eubank Jr. in the UK World Boxing Super Series Super Middleweight Semifinals. That's a great UK matchup. And I keep going back and forth with who I favor. Right now, I like Eubank in that fight. I think that the way uh, the matchmaking is playing out and everything, it, this, is, this is set up for Eubank to win this tournament and come out as, as a rising star out of this tournament. But we'll see. The old man might have one more trick up his sleeve. Week after that, February 24th, we get the Superfly 2 card headlined by Rungvi Sai versus Estrada. That is an outstanding fight. The winner of that fight, if they're dominant, might be a top five pound-for-pound -pound fighter. Both of those guys are on a lot of people's pound-for-pound -pound list already, which, by the way, my year-end pound-for-pound list will be out later this week. Also on that card, we're going to get Quadras versus McWilliams Arroyo. That's going to be at the Forum. That's on HBO. That is a card that makes sense at the Forum and makes total sense on HBO. There's also going to be a third fight. It will be a triple header added. I think it should be Naoya Inouye. He has a fight at the very end of this year, I think December 30th. If he's successful, no bumps, bruises, scrapes, injuries, whatever, he might be that third fight on the Superfly 2 card. I love it. March 3rd, Kel Brook back in action. 
Also, uh, Oscar Valdez is going to headline an ESPN card from top rank. And Sergey Kovalev will be back on HBO fighting a completely overmatched opponent. But also on that card, Sullivan Barrera fighting Dmitry Bivol for Bivol's title. I love that fight. Now, apparently, Sergey Kovalev's people at main events made an offer <coughs> to, um, to Barrera, and he turned it down. I guess he feels the Bivol fight is more winnable for him. And should he win that fight, I think this is just the thinking of him and his team, should they win that fight, the Kovalev fight would be next. That'd be the natural progression, and it'd be a unification. There'd be much more money involved for them. So I think that's why they went that route. March 17th, another top rank on ESPN card. Jose Carlos Ramirez is fighting for the vacant WBC 140-pound title against Amir Imam at the Madison Square Garden in New York. Now, some of you are asking, why would it take Jose Carlos Ramirez, who does great in the Central Valley in California, where he's from, he does great crowds there. That's where his last fight on ESPN was. Why would they take him all the way to New York? Well, because this is Bob Arum and Don King, and what they're telling people is they think that the New York market, they have so many connections there with the old guard media, the Boxing Writers Association of America people. I always tell you guys about that old, old-fashioned media group that's slowly dying off um, that old scene from decades ago, Grandpa Bob and Grandpa Don still have connections with them, and they think that they can work that New York market to promote that card. Also, uh, this is an ESPN card. ESPN is a very, very East Coast-biased sports network. Their headquarters are out there on the East Coast, and they just think overall they can promote this thing. Also, Michael Conlon will be on this card, and that's going to bring the Irish contingency out so um, I guess it makes sense. And should Carlos, Jose Carlos Ramirez be successful, Grandpa Bob's already said his very next fight will be back in the Central Valley. So why not go test out the market in New York? I get it. It makes sense. All right. So that's it. Got a little rant and some early uh, quarter one scheduling out of the way. Guys, as you can see, 2018 it's going to be a letdown year from 2017. I talked about this in a rant video I did on my roof yesterday, but it's still going to be a pretty damn good year. Better than several recent years we've had. The new era is here, and there's a lot happening. But let's, uh, let's get to the review portion. Let's, uh, yeah, that's enough news and notes. Let's talk about what happened in the ring all around the world last week. All right, so Wednesday, November 13th in Brisbane, Australia, Jeff Horn defends his WBO welterweight title with a 11th round TKO win over Gary Corcoran. And this was a fight that was stopped on cuts. Both guys got cut up. It was a kind of a clumsy fight. There was a lot of flailing and diving in and not that much fundamentals. Um, so ESPN picked this fight up, which I thought was cool. They aired it live at the crack of dawn here in the USA, but then they replayed it later that night. I want to say like 9 p.m. or something like that. So I thought that was cool. Jeff Horn got some more airtime on ESPN, and that was smart for them to do that because what they want to do next, of course, is match him up with Terrence Crawford. Now here's the thing. Jeff Horn and his people have said that they're considering a fight with Anthony Mundine, who has a fight scheduled coming up, I believe, at 154 pounds. Mundine is in his 40s. He looks like he's in his 60s, but he's in his 40s. He has fought from 154 pounds to as high as 175 pounds in recent years. He's kind of been all over the place. But uh, should he be successful, and he's lost several of his last few fights, but should he be successful in his next fight, 
It's a very real possibility that Horn will dump his WBO title, go up to 154 and fight Mundine, depending on how the money is. In a sense, that's better business for him if he's going for the money, because I think Terrence Crawford will eat his ass alive. But if he wants to defend that title, he's got to fight Terrence Crawford next. That's the WBO mandate. So um, apparently he's not having the easiest time making 147 pounds. My thing is, man, fight Terrence Crawford. Go out on your shield. Defend your title. If you are having trouble making weight and that's a legitimate concern, that's kind of a built-in excuse. Not that I love excuses, but if that's a legitimate concern and you're a little drained for that fight and you get shut out or even stopped by Terrence Crawford, which I think is likely, um, then your very next fight, you move up to 154 and you can still fight Anthony Mundine. I think that fight would still be there because Jeff Horn with his win over Manny Pacquiao, he's still a name. And if all else fails, maybe you can still even do a Pacquiao rematch at a catch weight of like 150 or something like that. There will be options for Jeff Horn should he lose to Terrence Crawford. Um, it wouldn't do anything to hurt his brand. So I'm hoping that Grandpa Bob can financially make it worth it for Jeff Horn and they could work something out. Terrence Crawford traveling to Australia and fighting early next year against Jeff Horn for his title. The title that, he, that Pacquiao used to have and Crawford wanted to fight Pacquiao, but Manny, uh, understandably so, wanted none of that. You know, by rights, he wants that damn title. And I think that uh, that's the fight that needs to happen. We'll see. Friday, November 15th at Ekaterinburg, Russia, Alexander Povetkin wins a unanimous decision over Christian Hammer, who had absolutely no business being in a title eliminator fight. He was actually rated number one by the WBO coming into this fight. That makes no sense. Hammer was docked uh, one point in the seventh round for holding. It's all I could do is hold on to survive, I guess. The scores were 120-107, 120-108, and 119-100. How any judge could give one round for Hammer is <laughs> illogical. Povetkin is now 38 years old, and he looks it. This was a terrible fight. You know, we've gotten some pretty good heavyweight fights this year. Even the, the one-sided uh, mismatches were, were pretty entertaining. This fight was horrible. And Povetkin starting to really look his age, looking... Maybe some of its age. I, I know, look, I tweeted about this. The five fights he had after being dominated by Vladimir Klitschko, he went 5-0 with five knockouts. Several of those were knockouts that were late in fights, where he beheaded dudes late in fights, which is not something you see that often. I'm not talking accumulation stoppage. I'm talking one punch, whoosh, right? Dropping the dude late in the fight. Since this whole fallout with Vada and the new testing protocol and all that stuff, he's looking a lot older, he's looking a lot slower, and he hasn't stopped. Who did he fight earlier this year? I can't even remember who it was because it was such a no-name. And then Christian Hammer, two guys that he should have stopped that he didn't. And it's not as if he had a bunch of ring rust like he's been that inactive. It's not like he was out of the ring for two years. I'm just going to put that out there. Just going to put it out there, and I ain't going to say nothing else about it. He is now, Alexander Povetkin is now the mandatory for Joseph Parker's WBO title and Anthony Joshua's WBA title. So now, which one happens? 
I think it's obvious that Joshua wants to go after Parker. He sees that as the easier fight, and he grabs him another title. They can wait to fight Povetkin. I think that Parker would probably rather fight Anthony Joshua than Povetkin because he wants more money. So all things being considered here, I think we're going to get Joshua Parker in the spring of next year. And maybe, I, obviously I like Joshua in that fight, maybe we see Joshua Povetkin late next year. Those are two good quality fights for Joshua. And if it leads to a fight with Deontay Wilder in the spring of 2019, sign me up. I like that schedule. Also on Friday the 15th in Lancaster, California, it was an entertaining card from PBC. None of these were elite level matchups or anything like that, but they were evenly matched fights and they were fun. It's like I talked about earlier in the news and notes section. Adrian Broner versus Omar Figueroa, Danny Garcia versus Brandon Rios. Those fights will probably be fun. They don't really mean much in the big scheme of things, but they'll be fun. That's what this card was. And sometimes you need those, right? If you're a diehard fight freak, these cards, these types of cards, particularly on a Friday night, they're fun. So Jamal James scores a third round KO over Diego Gabriel Chavez with a body shot. Good KO for James. Uh, John Molina scores a fourth round KO over Ivan Redcatch. This was an entertaining, fun fight for four rounds. Molina was down in the second, was pretty badly hurt, survived the round, but he was wobbling back to his corner after that second round, man. He was on Queer Street for a few minutes, but he got it together. And Redcatch overplayed his card. He should have pulled back, relaxed, kept his fundamentals. Redcatch is just not a very intelligent fighter and uh, just doesn't think in the ring, man. Molina was thinking. And with all that experience he had, the tough fights he's been in, he's been stopped before, he's been in with everybody. He's been in with some of the best in the sport. Even though he was hurt, he was getting his wits about him and he was thinking and making adjustments. And in the third round, boom, he nails Red Catch, uh, who had shot his wad a little bit at the end of that second round, instead of taking his time. And Red Catch was really hurt. The difference is uh, Red Catch went down that third third round, uh, Redcatch couldn't make the adjustments, couldn't recover the same way Molina did, wasn't thinking in there, wasn't playing chess. He was just hurt and reacting, just physically reacting, right? Meanwhile, Molina was setting him up. In the fourth round, he dropped him again. Uh, Redcatch was very, very badly hurt in no condition to continue. Fight was over. Molina might be the most dangerous gatekeeper in boxing. I'd have to think right now he's the most dangerous. I don't want to call him a journeyman. He's above a journeyman. He's not a contender, though. He's, he's a gatekeeper. He was a contender before, but he's more of a gatekeeper. But, man, he's probably the most dangerous one. If you're trying to figure out if a guy is a pretender or a contender, you put him in against John Molina. If you look good against John Molina, you're the real deal. If you can survive John Molina's power and get up from it and recover, you're the real deal. Also on this card, Jesse Vargas making his PBC debut. He wins a unanimous decision over Aaron Herrera. Got some rounds in. It's been a while. He was coming off a layoff. Good quality win for him. Uh, we'll see what he does from here. Saturday, November 16th. HBO triple header, the last HBO boxing card of the year. In the headliner, Billy Joe Saunders wins a unanimous decision over David Lemieux, blanks him 
completely uh, eye to the shutout, 12 rounds to zero, defends his WBO middleweight title. Uh, he had recently started working with Dominic Ingle, and these two work together like peanut butter and jelly. Man, uh, we've never seen Saunders this motivated, looking this in shape, this sharp, this confident. He really, really looked good. In some of his recent fights, he just looked like shit. He looked like crap. And this fight, he looked great. Now, Lemieux claims he hurt his hand, I, I believe his left hand, early in the fight. He also did have trouble making weight. And I talked about this a little bit on Twitter because some of you asked me about the weigh-in. Uh, Lemieux always looks drained at weigh-ins. He always looks drained. But I wasn't physically there. I was here in Los Angeles. I didn't travel up there to Laval, Quebec uh, to, to cover this card. So seeing a guy up close and personal with your eyes versus seeing pictures of him, two different things. I just know that I've seen Lemieux weigh in multiple times. He always looks drained. It's just because he blows up between fights. The dude likes to eat. He's also a thick guy. Really thick through the midsection and the, his back. He's kind of built just like a square. You know, he's not one of these guys that has a V, you know, big shoulders and then a narrow waist. He's just straight. He's a straight block. That's why he hits so hard. But it also makes it hard for him to make weight. And his eyes always look sunken in. He always looks sickly. That's just how he looks. But apparently this time, you know, he looks sickly and everything for a reason because he had to take off his, uh, his underwear at the weigh-in to make weight. Now, I've never seen that. So uh, the dude just, he lives outside the ring. He likes to drink. He likes to party. I've talked to you guys about this. I've seen him in Vegas minutes after, well, not minutes, an hour or so after knocking a dude out, dressed in a suit, looking fresh, hair combed, you know, out with his boys, hitting the casino floor, like an hour later. I've seen that on more than one occasion. So like the dude, he likes to live in between fights and that will eventually cost you. So yes, he was probably drained in this fight. He was probably, his hand was hurt and he couldn't really crack with it. But you can't hit what you can't catch. And to me, it didn't matter if Lemieux was in 100% condition, made weight easily, had both hands perfectly healthy or not. He was not going to beat Billy Joe Saunders. This Billy Joe Saunders, styles make fights and Saunders is all wrong for Lemieux. Lemieux is all right for Saunders. We've never seen him look this great. So it, styles make fights, it goes both ways, okay? The guy that gets beat, yeah. The opponent he was fighting, bad style for him. The guy who won, who dominates, the guy he was fighting was a good style for him. So I don't want to get too excited about this Billy Joe Saunders victory. There are some of you out there saying he would beat the hell out of Golovkin and Canelo in the same night, that he should be on the pound-for-pound pound list right now. Let's slow down a bit. Let's slow down a bit. Some of you are saying, well, Golovkin got so much credit when he beat Lemieux. Why shouldn't we give Saunders just as much credit? Well, a couple things. First of all, Golovkin beat Lemieux two years ago. He beat a much more conditioned, fresher version of Lemieux. But also, he won every round as well. And he knocked him out. He got him out of there. He beat him up. And likely... Some of that beating he took in that fight and some subsequent fights where he took more punishment than he should have helped beat him down a little bit and deteriorate him. This version of him that Saunders just beat. So Golovkin does deserve more credit for that win than Saunders does. At the same time, 
what I saw in this fight wasn't that, you know, some of you are like, oh, Lemieux is a bum. He's a bum. I always thought he was a bum. He's not a bum. He's still a lower top 10 middleweight. Yes, there are seven or eight middleweights right now that I would favor to beat this version of Lemieux. Maybe not Lemieux from two or three years ago, but this version of him. Yeah, he's probably the ninth or 10th rated middleweight in the world. That's still top 10. Styles make fights, guys. And guys who would stay more in front of him and trade with him more, he'd have more of a chance against. He might be down in the cards, but he might knock him out. So I still think he's a lower top 10 middleweight. What this fight showed me more of was that Saunders is pretty damn good. And he needs a guy against a slow plotting guy who's more of a pressure fighter, a power puncher. Saunders is going to look good. Uh, but do I rate him above Daniel Jacobs right now? No, I don't. I rate him number four. I have Golovkin number one. I have Canelo number two. I have Jacobs number three. I have Saunders number four. Am I convinced that Saunders beats Charlo or beats Andrade? No, I'm not. Maybe I'd favor him in those matchups. Maybe because he's the more proven middleweight. Those guys have fought good opposition at junior middleweight, but he's the more proven middleweight and he's fought the better opposition overall compared to them in their career. So I'd favor Saunders. But look... I'm not saying that he's better than those guys necessarily. You got to rate him higher right now, but let's pump the brakes a little bit, okay? Now, is he going to fight Daniel Jacobs next year? I'd love to see that. I tweeted about that too. I want to see Canelo Golovkin. And by the way, because of this Saunders win, we're going to get that fight in May now. I've been telling you it's going to happen in September. We're going to get it in May now. So that's great. So thank you, Billy Joe Saunders, for blanking David Lemieux because if Lemieux won... Eric Gomez and those guys at Golden Boy, they were going to give us Canelo Lemieux in May. And they were going to push the Golovkin rematch back. So that plan blew up. So thank you, Billy Joe Saunders. But do I think that he rushes to fight Daniel Jacobs next? Or Charlo? Or Andre? Or any of those guys? No. I think that he's going to go back to the UK and probably have a soft touch defense in the spring of next year. I hope I'm wrong. But if we look at Saunders, the way he's run his career in the recent years, that seems to be the M.O. I hope I'm wrong. We'll find out. Also, Gary O'Sullivan, or they call him Spike O'Sullivan, scores a seventh-round knockout over Antoine Douglas. On paper, Douglas should have won this fight going away. It should have looked like the Saunders-Lemieux fight, kind of, or the opener uh, fight between Ulessi and Selden, which I'll talk about in a second. It should have looked like that. But Douglas... Just was ruined, ruined by Edvin Tilkert Saize last March. And that is an example. Steve Kim talked about this a lot. How that corner screwed Antoine Douglas's career. Now guys, I ripped Guillermo Rigando a lot for him quitting against Vasily Lomachenko in their fight recently. But I also am very quick to tell you guys, not every quit job is the same. And sometimes a fighter who's being beaten up round after round after round, if he ain't going to quit, his corner needs to step in and throw in the towel. It needs to happen more. Had Douglas's corner thrown in the towel three or four rounds before they finally did in that fight against Kurt Saize, before that fight was stopped, I should say, they may have saved his career. He may have been able to rebound from that loss. But that damage he took in the extra two, three, four rounds is irrevocable. He's done. 
He does. He is shot like a fighter who's been through wars. He looked like Glenn Tapia a few times in this fight to me. He looked like James Kirkland. The way the punches were affecting him in the middle rounds of this fight. Also with Douglas, you saw a guy that was just boxing the box. Just reacting in there. Just flailing away. Great fundamentals, great athleticism. But Spike O'Sullivan had a game plan. And I thought him and his corner did an awesome job. And the older, more experienced guy beat the guy who on paper was supposed to use him as an opponent to get back into uh, the minds of people who thought Douglas was going to be something to, you know, somebody to watch, somebody to look at. Just, it's a shame that this dude's corner cost him his career. I almost think he's at a point where he should retire. I just don't know if he's built for boxing anymore. In the opener, Yves Ulesi Jr. scores a unanimous decision over Cletus Selden, the Hebrew Hammer, who we're never going to see on HBO again. Selden was down in rounds one, two, and three. Ulesi only has one loss. It was a split decision. He was coming off that loss in this fight, coming back from that loss. But it was a disputed decision. Uh, so I've heard. I haven't seen the fight. I need to go back and look at it. Ulesi, we're going to see him on HBO again. Not the most crowd-pleasing style, not the most powerful puncher. Some of you said, well, he dropped Selden three times. How is he that powerful? How is he that powerful? Those knockdowns were more of Selden just not knowing what the hell he was doing and being caught by punches that he was running right into, uh, just throwing his equilibrium off and dropping him. He wasn't ever badly hurt. I don't see Ulesi as this big power puncher, and that's going to cost him against the higher echelon fighters in that division. But for Selden, and I talked about this in my rant video, it looked like a guy who was sparring for the first time. That's what we saw. So the Hebrew Hammer had a quick little run on HBO, and that is over. Matchmaking 101. This was a horrible, horrible decision for his team to go up against a fighter like this. You don't just graduate right to that. You have to work your way up to it. So they learned on the job the hard way here. Okay, so that's it with all the action that took place last year. There's not a whole lot going on coming up in the next two weeks, but there's some things to talk about. So we'll do a real quick preview segment. Okay, a few fights to talk about here. Wednesday, December 20th in Bangkok, Thailand. TJ Doheny, Doheny? it's either Doheny or Doheny, Irish-born fighter who lives in Australia now. 17-0, 13 knockouts, going up against Pipat Chaipur. Chaipur, that, that sounds interesting. Or AKA Mike Tawachai. His Thai fighter, obviously, was 44-10-1, 27 KO. They're fighting a IBF 122-pound eliminator. Also Saturday, December 30th in Yokohama, Japan, Nayoya Inouye, who I talked about earlier in this episode. He is going up against Yoan Boyo, Boyo uh, to defend his WBO 115-pound title. This will be the seventh defense for Inouye. And if he comes out of this with no scratches or bumps or bruises, he might just get on that Superfly card two months later. Also, uh, Ken Shiro versus Gilberto Pedroza. Shiro defending his WBC 108-pound um, title. This will be the, his second defense. Sunday, December 30th, Tokyo, Japan. There's always these late year cards in Japan. It's just something they always do right around New Year's, which I think is really cool. They do it every year. Uh, Milan Malindo, who is a Filipino fighter defending his IBF 108 pound title. 
the second defense of his title against Japanese fighter Ryoichi Taguchi defending his WBA 108 pound title for the seventh time. This will be a title unification. So the winner of this fight will be the top guy at 108 pounds. I think it's great when these lower weight classes unify titles. It helps uh, because they're, they're usually so segmented. Th those divisions, you need to unify titles. Also, uh, Hiroto Kaoguchi making the first defense of his IBF 105 pound title, minimum weight or straw weight, whichever you prefer title, against Carlos Buitrago, a uh, Nicaraguan fighter. And also on that card, Sho Kimura versus Toshiyuki Igarashi. <laughs> Igarashi, that was a tough one. Uh, for the WBO 112 pound or flyweight title, uh, Kimura was TKO'd in the, or TKO'd uh, Zoshiming in the 11th round in July to win this title, the WBO flyweight title. This will be his first defense. Igarashi is the former WBC flyweight champ. So you have a current flyweight titleist, a former flyweight titleist. Um, Tuesday, January 16th, the first notable fight of 2018 in Macau, China. Donnie Dietes, uh, the Filipino fighter, has been one of the better little guys in recent years, going up, going up against Argentinian fighter Juan Carlos Riveco. This will be the first defense of Nietes for his title. Um, so that's probably the first one. And then the schedule gets going on January 20th with that Spence Peterson card I told you guys about. So that's it, man. That is it for 2017. TNC will be back in mid-January to preview all those cards that I told you guys about. Uh, in the meantime, thank you so much for supporting the channel, getting the word out there, and uh, respecting what I try to do here and being as object objective and moderate as I can, as logical as I can, and telling you the truth as much as I can. Big, big things to come in 2018. But before that, I want you guys to have a happy holidays a happy, safe New Year's. I'll see you at the fights, and um, I'll see you next year.